Please remain standing just for the reading of God's Word. The text, again, as we continue on in 1 Corinthians today. Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Heavenly Father, this is Your Word. Sanctify us in the truth of Your Word. Set it apart in our lives today. Do Your work, O God. Amen. Please be seated. We started 1 Corinthians 13 last week and we were reminded of the context. The context in chapter 12 is about the body of Christ. And it's still that context throughout 1 Corinthians 13. The context is written to the church and what is going on there. But when we hear that word love, and by the way, you notice the title is love is and love is not. There's a couple things here that... God has Paul point to, to what love is. And then he points out what love is not. (laughs) And we'll note those things today. The outline in itself kind of just puts it out there for us in a straightforward way. But when you think of love in our world, there's a lot of love songs that are sung. And you could probably think of ones right off the top of your head. When I thought of it, two things came to mind. First of all... um, Love Me Tender by Elvis Presley. And I can't Im- imitate him. Anybody want to imitate him and come on up? Love Me Tender, Love Me Sweet. And, and I'm part Polish, so I thought of Bobby Vinton. <laughs> and he sings the song, Roses are red, my love, violets are blue. Sugar is sweet, my love, but not as sweet as you. <laughs> Some of you maybe have written that to your wives or different things that way, but we do those things with love. And then last night I I was reminded again of a song about love. Love came down at Christmas. And it brings it all back into focus to what love is. What that true love is, the love of Christ. (laughs) What Christ has done for you and me. That agape love. That love, as we defined it last week, that gives everything. The love that we never really ever fully measure up to, but it's the love that motivates us. And the love that we know that even allows us to love as God would want us to. So let's start out and let's look here at verse 4 of the text. As we consider that basis, as we consider the context There And we see right away, he says, love is patient. Patience is one of those fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? The idea here with love being patient is that true love is able to wait on things. True love can wait when it comes to marriage in the true essence of what God wanted love to be within marriage and in those ways. But also true love is patient. 
It continues and it strives on. It knows that the love that it has for people doesn't always come to fruition or that people will come to Christ or people struggle with different things and it won't always come in our lifetimes even. (laughs) But love continues on. It's patient. Love puts the most charitable construction on things at times. (laughs) And it's patient. And it shows that love in that way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's not just that physical love. It's the spiritual love, the love that we have the Holy Spirit now living within us if we're believers. A love that is patient. And love is kind. Immediately, my mind goes to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. That's the kindness that's there. And that's the kindness that God brings into a heart even when you don't feel like being kind. God is able to bring that into heart. And that's that picture of what true love is. Agape love. The love that Christ showed to us when He went to the cross. And He gave His life. Took on sin for all of us. Became sin. So that we could be forgiven. Now that's the love is part. It's a shorter part of today's thing and it seems like we'll be doing the negative part. Love is not. But Paul goes through with the Corinthian church and with us. God has it for us today. Love is not. In verses 4 through 6, you see the different things that he says there. In verse 5, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of that whole idea. Well, there, there was a mild-mannered man. No, I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Here it is. Yeah. The story was of a high school senior. <laughs> he was asking his father's advice on how to woo the girl of his dreams. And his dad said, well, son, when you take her out for pizza tonight, And you're sitting across the table from her. Take her hand in yours. Gaze longingly into her eyes and softly say, Wow, you have a face that would make time stand still. And that night when the boy took the girl out to eat, he sat down across the table from her, took her hand in his, gazed into her eyes, but he was nervous and his hands were shaking and he couldn't quite remember exactly what his father told him to say. And suddenly he smiled and he said, Whoa, babe, you got a face that would stop a clock. (laughs) Somehow I don't think that line was going to work on her. And he was trying to follow his father's advice, but he was trying to tell her that he loved her, but that's not what she heard. (laughs) There's a lot of times where love is being expressed, but it doesn't come out right and love is and love is not. You ever taken like a daisy? You remember as a kid? She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. 
And then by that time, if you're mathematically minded, you're figuring out where it's going to end up. (laughs) What he says here is love is not. (laughs) And we're going to find out some of the things that he says in that way. And there are a lot of love me nots here. What love doesn't look like because probably (laughs) that ends up showing itself more than what true love ends up showing itself. And Paul notes some of those things. There was a mild-mannered man. um, He was tired of being bossed around by his wife, so he went to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said he needed to build his self-esteem. And so the psychiatrist gave him a book on self-assertiveness, which he read on the way home. He had finished the book by the time he reached his house. When he storms into his house and he walks up to his wife and he points his finger at her right in her face and he says, from now on, I want you to know that I am the man of the house and my word is law. I want you to prepare me a gourmet meal tonight when I'm finished eating my finished eating my meal. I expect a sumptuous dessert afterwards. Then after dinner, you're going to draw me my bath so I can relax. And when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? And the wife said, the funeral director. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Rebecca, who was age eight, said this. She said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandpa does it for her now all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. To serve one another. What he says here first about love is not, is that love is not me first. It's not self-seeking. In his book, Empires of the Mind, Dennis Waitley writes that there are approximately 450,000 words in the English language. 450,000 words. But 80% of our conversations use only about 400 of those words you know what the most commonly used words are in conversation? I, me, my, and mine. We all tend to think of ourselves first, don't we? It's a human tendency. And we tend to think in terms of others meeting our needs. (laughs) And we get so self-focused we forget and we tend to to seek out what we need rather than what God needs or what the congregation needs as he's hitting with Corinth here. It's not self-seeking. Mark 9, verse 35, Jesus sat the disciples down and he said to them, anyone who wants to be first needs to be last. You want to be great in God's kingdom? You need to be the servant of all. To not be self-seeking. 
Dostoevsky tells the story of a woman who found herself in hell. And this again is a story, but he tells the story of a woman who found herself there and he and felt that she did not belong in hell. She couldn't bear the suffering and she cried out in agony for the mercy of God. And in Dostoevsky's story, God listened and he was moved with pity. So he said to her, if you can remember one good deed that you did in your lifetime, I will help you. And racking her brain, she remembered that she had once given an onion to a starving neighbor. So God produced the onion complete with its stem. And in the story, the woman grabbed the onion and God began to pull her up out of hell. But others who were damned with her began to grab hold of the woman's skirt as she was being lifted out. The stem of the onion held and would have saved them all of them, but the woman began to kick and scream for them to let her go. Thrashing about, trying to dislodge her friends was too much for the onion and the stem snapped, plunging them all back to the depths of hell. Now again, it's a story. The woman wanted to be saved, but she just didn't care whether anybody else was or not. And that was what she... That was because she was selfish and self-centered. And it was a love me not. (laughs) To be self-seeking. It also says there that love is not boastful. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul would write to Timothy, he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Love is not boastful. (laughs) Love is not proud. Literally, in some translations, it covers the word. Love is not puffed up. It's not full of itself in that way. In Galatians 6.14, Paul would write, May I never boast except in the cross. Isaiah, thank He's probably down now, isn't he? Yeah, in Sunday school. But wasn't it wonderful to have him just simply play that song? May I never boast except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And it goes on. It says, Love is not... Envious. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, it says that thou shalt not covet. To covet or to be envious. If we look throughout Scripture, we can observe that Cain was envious of Abel and he murdered him. 
we see that Saul burned with envy over David's popularity and he sought to kill him. We see that the chief priests and Pharisees were envious of Jesus' popularity and they crucified him. Envy can't abide someone else being successful, fulfilled, or happy when they aren't. Envy wants to hurt if it feels that it's been hurt. Love is not envious. Charles Allen wrote about a fisherman friend of his who told him that one never needs a top for a crab basket. You don't need to put a top on a crab basket, I guess. If one of the crabs starts to climb up the sides of the basket, guess what keeps the crab in? All the other crabs will reach up and pull it back down. Alan observes, he says, that lots of people are like those crabs. Envy leads them to pull others down. And even destroy those who they're jealous of. And that brings us to the last list, so to speak, of these love knots. Love is not a list keeper. Love is not a list keeper. Corinth was not a loving church. They didn't share much things with each other, evidently. They argued with different things. They even took each other to the court when they got mad enough, as we've read about. They were rude to each other. And if a brother or sister in Christ ever offended them, they apparently had this list. You, don't, you know about a list, don't you? A list is a tally sheet that some people keep of how others have offended them. It's not necessarily a literal list at times. It's a list that we have in our minds and our hearts. And they keep mental records of wrongs that others have done to them. And every time that person offends them, they add to that list, there they go again. That's what you'd expect from them. Or, I'll bet they'll do it again next week. (laughs) I don't know why those people are here anyway. (laughs) It's a definite love me not, isn't it? What does it say here? It says that love is not rude. You won't do things to shame other people or disgrace people. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is righteous, and He'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says that He'll remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. They're they're buried in the depths of the sea. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't keep a list? And He thoroughly expects us not to either. But in Corinth, evidently they were. Love is not easily angered. (laughs) You know, sometimes we expect people to be angry at us for something we've done. 
Sometimes where there's true love, it doesn't, the anger doesn't show. Love, it says, keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> some people, some of us uh, can be married to people that have a file cabinet. It's like they might say to us, excuse me, on May 13th of 1992, do you remember <laughs> what you did? <laughs> but real love doesn't have a file cabinet. It doesn't even have a three-by-five note card even. Love, real love, keeps no record of wrong. Look back as he gets down to the, the main focus of things again as it continues here. He says, love does not delight in evil. <laughs> it does not delight in evil. You know, the challenge sometimes this morning is that to begin going through our past hurts and our bitterness, and even though we may want to move forward in life, we may have one foot on the brakes. In order to be free, we need to let go. We need to release the hurt. We need to refuse to entertain our old pain and the energy it takes to hang on to those past holdings People who struggle with this often have to go through a process. Once they're challenged by God's love, when they go through these pasts and these old hurts and bitternesses, it means opening the door to the... It's opening the door to the ammunition shed and pulling out every bullet and bomb that we have waiting in there to throw at other people. And the only way to disarm is to let God have it in obedience and to forgive those, to free ourselves. It's God's love. It's the only thing that can allow that. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. (laughs) Don't delight in that evil. (laughs) The story is told about a teenager at church camp who started an ugly rumoring about two of the counselors and it quickly became the talk of the camp. Um, the next day at morning prayer, the minister read the story of the adulterous woman. And he spoke about how Jesus told the crowd that if any person who had no sin could cast the first stone. And one by one, those who came to stone her to death walked away. Then the minister passed out a bucket of stones and insisted that everyone take one of those stones and carry it in their pocket for the remainder of camp. And any time they felt like criticizing someone else or talking behind someone else's back or passing on an ugly rumor, they were to reach into their pocket, touch the stone, and ask themselves if they were without sin. 
that shut down the gossiping. Because true love remembers how much Jesus has forgiven us. And because of that, it refuses to delight in evil and the spreading of gossip or the willingness to hurt others. See, it leads us to what verse 7 talks about. Love is, love is not. And then in verse 7, God has Paul write and he says, Love always. Love always protects, first of all. The the Greek word there for protect is quite a word. It's a word that means to cover. It's related to the word for roof or roof, however you say it. It's a covering that offers protection to the house and to all who live within it from all the elements that weather might throw at it. In 1 Peter 4.8, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. That's precisely the meaning here. Love protects other people. It doesn't broadcast bad news. It goes the second mile to protect another person's reputation. It's a similar picture in Exodus when God instructs Moses to tell the Israelites to take lamb's blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the doorposts. And when the angel of death passes over, sees the blood on the doorpost, no harm will come to those inside because the covering of blood will give protection. In the same way, that's the love that Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13. Love always seeks to protect people, always seeks to cover them with the blood of Christ. Well, for starters, it perhaps covers our mouths. (laughs) It keeps us from saying too much too quickly. But we still stick our foot in our mouth. (laughs) We still do those things. We read that at the beginning, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love. Maybe that's perhaps what Paul has as a primary meaning here, a part of it. That love doesn't do its dirty laundry in public for the world to see. It covers up a critical eye. It allows you to look at your friends or parents or whoever through a telescope rather than a microscope. It allows you to take the big view rather than looking at all the little faults. And instead of parading the failures and faults of others before the world, love covers them over and continues to love in spite of those things. Love protects. Love trusts. There's a story of a father who took his young son and stood him on top of a dining table. He stepped backwards and he encouraged the little guy to jump into his arms. He said, don't worry, I'll catch you, he said. And the father said it confidently and told him he coaxed him. And after a little bit of coaxing, the little guy finally made the leap. When he did, the father stepped back and let the child fall to the ground. He picked his son up, dusted him off and dried his tears. And he said to him sternly, he said, let that be a lesson to you. In this world, don't ever trust anybody. That's not trust, is it? 
That's not the love of God our Father. Love always trusts. We can put our trust in Him. He won't fail us. Love always hopes, it says. Love always hopes. Hope, that's a great word, isn't it? In a world that's filled with hopelessness and despair, love always hopes. In the middle of an economic downturn or epidemics or or threatened pandemics again. In a world filled with war and hatred and riots, hunger and suffering, love always hopes. Love's hope comes through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that He has triumphed over all the hurts and pains and problems. And filled with that hope, love gives a person courage to face life no matter what happens. There is hope in Jesus Christ. (laughs) And lastly here, love perseveres. It patiently endures. It does not give up. It endures persecution. It has the God-given ability to overcome. And it endures what it cannot be endured because of love. And where does this all go back to? It all goes back to the cross, doesn't it? It all goes back to the love that Jesus Christ showed us. When Paul wrote this, that is the undergirding thing of the whole thing. And as we, as people, and we as a church, what is the undergirding thing of all that we are to do in our lives and in the church? That, the love of Christ. His love. We're going to mess things up and do different things as we do. But we can't forget that. Because when we start losing sight of that, things get a little out of control. And like Paul had to write a letter to the Corinthians to encourage them to point out things, he did it so that they would know and be reminded of that truth again and again. It doesn't mean shoving things under the carpet. No, it means going forward though in that. And what He's done. You know, at the end, we're going to sing again today and we'll probably sing in a couple weeks again when I preach again because we have to finish out this chapter. (laughs) We'll sing that song, The Love of God, that Frederick Lehman wrote. And as we sing it again, may we be reminded (laughs) of that love. To love Him with our whole hearts because He's loved us. Because He's loved us, then we can love others too. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we have looked at what You have for us, we we need You. I need You. Thank You for the love that You do give. Even in the midst of things, help us to do what love is, to be patient at times. Lord, help us to not to not do those things that love isn't supposed to be. 
Help us to lose sight of ourselves and see you. Help us to forgive. Help us to live. Help us to know that love always hopes and it trusts. Help us to believe. Thank you for that wonderful hope that we do have in you. May that be our focus in the midst of everything else. May it be the focus. Help us to reach out beyond here and to love as you have loved. In your name, Jesus, I pray.